welcome back to the Emergency Goalies. Our friend Katie is back on. So, and we've been doing, um, at the start of these episodes, going over the complete lack of hockey news, and that's still pretty much the case. There was an article about maybe having some regular season games if the season ever gets started, but again, I don't know if the season ever is going to get started again, so it's kind of hard to to take any stock in anything like that, but I'll ask you, Michael, real quick. Um, did you see any other Blackhawks-related news this week? Uh, just a couple of more draft picks signings, but uh, nothing uh, nothing earth-shattering. Uh, they, they haven't uh, made any big moves or anything. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's really been, like you said, no – no hard information on the rest of the league other than that they're just kind of uh, exploring all um, situations as they should. They should have uh, contingency plans for every time frame, every uh, scenario you know that, that that could play out here. They have plenty of time to uh, to work some of these things out and you know, it's still going to end up being a bit of a scramble. It's never going to be a situation that'll make everybody happy, but you just got to hope that everybody, that most people can at least uh, uh, come to grips with the fact that, you know, there's not going to be a perfect situation. So, yep. And uh, Katie, since you haven't been on in a couple of weeks, I'll ask you, how's everything going with your quarantine? Everything's going okay? Yeah, it's kind of weird to not really have anywhere to go for about a month now uh the last thing I did was celebrate my birthday which I guess is a good last thing to get to do to have some fun before you're stuck inside for more than a month so I'm just kind of hanging out at home it is weird to live right in Wrigleyville and not have baseball happening right now uh but otherwise things are pretty much going okay yeah yeah no my birthday's in what six days so I'm not gonna be able to do anything for my birthday so Mine's in 13. Wow. And my mom's was yesterday, so a good month for birthdays. Unfortunately, no one can really do much. Yes, that's that's the bummer of the situation. But anyway, let's get to some good news uh, that happened about 11 years ago. (laughs) In Bob the Blackhawks and the Vancouver Canucks. And I've been having like a vote, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to pick myself this time. So, yeah, I picked the 2009 uh, Western Conference semifinals between the Canucks and the Blackhawks. And I'll, well, before we get into the games, I'll just ask uh, everyone the Canucks, were they the Blackhawks' biggest rival of the last 10 years, do you think? Would that be a good guess? Um, I. Personally, always thought that the uh, the the Predator series were always uh, a little more contentious. They were much closer. They were also a division opponent, um, and really, I think that the Predators gave the the Hawks way more trouble than the Canucks ever did. I mean, sure, the, that three consecutive years where you faced the Canucks, uh, it, it it brought out the ire a little bit. It was. It was fun to beat them those first two years, but I don't know. I guess I always kind of looked more a little more towards the division for um, for the the biggest rivalry. How about you, Katie? 
Yeah, I would agree. I think maybe in terms of the personalities, the Canucks had a hold on biggest rivalry just because there were so many guys that were kind of easy to dislike. And you could tell the Blackhawks (laughs) didn't really like those guys and those guys didn't really like the Blackhawks. So I think in that sense of like feelings and emotions, maybe the rivalry there of like clashing personalities was bigger. But yeah, I don't know overall in terms of gameplay that I would say the Canucks were the biggest rivals. Yeah, yeah. So that's about right. But that that window when they played them, the fan hatred seemed to be very, very intense for the Canucks. I will say that. Yeah, I, I, I'd i say we're probably in the minority. I think for those three years, if you would have asked pretty much any Blackhawks fan, number one on their hate list would have been the Canucks. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I did enjoy how the Blackhawks seemed to get under the Canucks skin a lot. That... I don't think that the, you know, the, the we talk about like you know the way Dave Boland played and uh, Dustin Bufflin and um, you know some of the the more notable uh, incidents and uh, kind of getting in the the Sedin twins' head and stuff like that. I, I don't know that the Blackhawks had another team like that where it was it it, it ever came quite to this extreme. And I think part of it was that it was three straight years of playing the same team. And I don't, I I can't think over the course of the Hawks playoff run there where they really rarely faced anybody two years in a row. I think there was, I think the wild, maybe they faced two years in a row, but they were able to blow the wild out of the playoffs pretty much with ease every year. So it wasn't quite the same, but yeah, I mean, three straight years of playing the same team can, can certainly bring out, um, I, I I think for the players it was it it probably was too, and not just for the fans. I think for the players it was definitely that that familiarity over those three years was definitely. Yeah. Right. Well, so now let's get to the actual series. Uh, I'll set the, the tone a little bit. Uh, the Blackhawks were the three seed, and Vancouver was the two seed. So Vancouver had home ice advantage. Uh, the first game was this is pretty much set. The tone for the whole series, uh, the Canucks got out to a gigantic lead, a 3 nothing lead, and the, it looked like the Blackhawks were going to get buried, but they fought back and tied the score at 3, and then the Canucks scored with about a minute left in the game, two minutes left, to get a 4-3 uh, victory. But yeah, it was just a couple themes were getting set early. David Boland was having a very good series. And uh, Patrick Kane was scoring some goals. So, yeah, I I remember going in having a lot of confidence, but it, respecting the Canucks skill level. And so, you know, there was that little bit of, oh, you know, if those those some of those uh, guys kind of can get loose. They can they can cause the Blackhawks some trouble and. They came out storm in those first couple of periods and really took it to the Hawks. But you, you, you kind of saw the fight that the Blackhawks always seem to have in them. Uh, you know, you mentioned Patrick Kane scoring goals. I actually don't think Patrick Kane played all that well in total in this series. But it was one of those things where he could go 10 minutes where, or even entire periods where he did nothing. But then 
all of a sudden it only takes him, you know, two seconds and boom, he's got a goal. And then in the case of this game, boom, he's got another goal a few minutes later. And all of a sudden it looks like, you know, he's, he's having a great game and he certainly always had the final impact, but yeah, I mean, as far as who the best players were, um, shift in and shift out i i definitely wouldn't have put wouldn't put kane at the top i i i think this was definitely more of a um jonathan taves um duncan keith uh you mentioned boland and really uh, they hadn't quite uh as i was kind of going through some of these uh highlights for these games i was kind of remind bringing myself back into that time frame and uh reminding myself and um yeah, these early games, I I forgot how much line shuffling they did. Um, they really didn't have uh, the center depth uh, that they would eventually get to. I mean, you had Jonathan Taves holding down the top line, of course, and Dave Boland kind of flip-flop between second line, third line, center. But... Uh, Sammy Paulson was had been their big uh, trade deadline acquisition. And he kind of did okay as the fourth line center, but uh, it, he wasn't the same player he had been a few years earlier when he was a key cog for helping the Ducks win the, the cup. And then, yeah, it was kind of like their second line center was kind of like a hodgepodge between Patrick Sharp and Christopher Stieg. Um, uh, Adam Burrish took some shifts at center, it seemed like, and they were just jumbling up the lines at all times. <clears throat> I want to say in this early game, Kane was playing with uh, Christopher Stieg as his center, and I think Martin Havlat was on his wing. And it just, yeah, it was just a really weird uh, um, just jumble of things that I didn't I didn't really remember. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, by the end of it, we all kind of remember that, <clears throat> that line of Dave Boland, uh, Andrew Ladd, and Martin Havlat being kind of the the big line for the Hawks in that series, but they, they really didn't assemble that until later um, uh, after the first couple of games. So yeah, that was kind of what struck me with this game was just the Hawks didn't, they, they came out, they fell behind and they didn't really seem to have any chemistry yet, but they kind of discovered it in the third period a little bit with a couple individual efforts. And then kind of as the series went along is when they really kind of, found their form yeah so katie i'll ask you for a couple of your impressions yeah i actually i was a fairly new fan when this whole series happened the first time um at the time i was in college and i had a friend who was a big blues fan um so he was like he didn't want the blackhawks to win but he also didn't really like the canucks so i kind of remember watching with him and now that you mentioned it i do remember being very confused about why there were like so many different people coming in and out because i didn't really know what was going on um and it was kind of like well why is this guy not good so i do kind of remember that disjointed thing where i wasn't really sure if that was just how this worked um and it ended up working out for the blackhawks okay but that was kind of a weird way to get things going but i guess it worked out in the end Yes. All right, so we'll go on to the next game. Um, game two, this is the Blackhawks just needed a split on the road, and they get it. But again, they fell behind 2 nothing in this game. And it's just, I forgot how often they fell behind. But again, they were able to rally back and, and tie the score. And then uh, Dave Boland on 
which is, you know, sometimes you forget goals and remember goals. This was a goal that I remembered very well. Uh, the go-ahead goal on the yes. shorthanded breakaway. I don't know why, but um, he was broke out, like, shorthanded, line change, came out on the ice, got a long pass, and just really schooled Luongo, who had been playing very yeah. well in the series, or who would play very well in the series, but a great move and scored a goal to give the Blackhawks the lead, and they'd eventually win this game. So it was a big moment yeah, the- for the... The classic Brent Seabrook stretch pass from the like his own goal line all the way to the opposing blue line. Um, yeah, that was something he did quite frequently. Although I think this one did end up getting up in the air, and Boland actually had to glove it down, if I remember. But still, uh, that, that was something Seabrook was always looking for, and kind of the whole defensive core as a as a group. Um, they were kind of the first team to to really push the, the the long outlet pass like that and really take advantage of um, that relatively, you know, the relatively recent rule change, re- removing the two-line pass. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that, 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 that goal is definitely one of the ones that I still remember quite vividly from, <clears throat> uh, from the series. Yeah, and uh, Katie, I was going to ask you, but, I really, this is when I fell in love with Dave Boland because he's one of my favorite all-time players. But uh, I'll ask you for your Boland thoughts because he, he's my favorite anyway. Yeah, I think at the time, he because he wasn't like a big name player, I think I didn't really know who he was because he wasn't like the Kane or Taves. And since those were the big guys at the time, I was kind of like, who is this guy? Um, but I think I did really grow to appreciate what he brought to the team. And then he did have the very strong ability to get under the skin of a lot of players, particularly on the Canucks. So I think... He was helpful in scoring goals, but I think he also brought that kind of attitude that like a Patrick Kane maybe wasn't going to bring. So I think he kind of balanced things out there and it was enjoyable to kind of see how he did that without even really making a giant play all the time. He could still have a really important role. Well, you know, this team, I think more than the later teams really had a lot of agitator guys. I mean, you think about uh, Bolin, Bufflin, Bertig, Adam Burrish, who doesn't love Adam Burrish, but this was a very much more of a uh, kind of a Ben Eager. This was a much more of a agitator team than their later teams. Yeah, and I, I, I think uh, kind of what Katie was saying, where you know, as a newer fan herself at the time, you know, we got to remember a lot of the Blackhawks fans at that time were newer fans, and um, and even for some of us that you know, had stuck with the team, people forget just how young this team was. It was insane how 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 young the 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 entire group of players was. And this was their first playoff experience for just about everybody on this team. And so we didn't really know how any of these guys would re would react. We didn't know Patrick Kane was going to eventually you know, score, be able to to come up with all of these huge goals in in critical moments. We didn't know that uh, Dave Boland was going to be, you know, a, a prime agitator, and um, you know, we didn't know, um, you know, what what a force Dustin Bufflin could be when he really applied himself and 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 you know stuck stuck his 
butt in front of the goalie and just never, never moved. And so, yeah, I mean, there were so many open questions about this team and it was just fun discovering what all these guys could do as we went along. Well, you know, I was going to say the parallels between this team and, say, the 2015 Cubs are pretty yeah. strong, if you think about it. Right. Uh, but the one thing I will say with, with this team, and, and I did look it up because it, it it really struck me as I was kind of watching it and just remembering how young they were, The only, there was, uh, other than the goalies, Hobby Bullen and, and Huey were both in their 30s and, and veterans, but... The only player over 28 or over, I'm sorry, over 30 years old was um, Sammy Paulson. That was it. And he only got picked up at the trade deadline. The rest of the team, Brian Campbell was the the oldest player at 29 years old. Uh, You know, I mean, Havlat was 27. Kane and Taves were 20. Christopher Mm -hmm. Steeg was 22. You know, it was just all these 22, 23, 24 year old players. And it was just a lot of fun, and they all had that youthful exuberance with their game. And um, yeah, it was uh, it was a, a, just a lot of fun, kind of discovering what all these guys were going to be. And yeah, this was kind of this was really the first taste of it, and it, I just uh, it was it was fun going back and watching some of this. So. All right, well, I'll let you cover Game Three then, Michael. So sure. Uh, game Three was. Uh, a little uh, disheartening. If um, I, I thought the team actually played pretty well, but it was a game where uh, Luongo came up big, and it was really the third straight game where Javi Bulin uh, was outplayed. And and Javi Bulin, it, it wasn't so much that he was playing poorly early in the series, but he got left out, uh, hung out to dry quite a bit. Um, the, the, the one, the one guy on this team that I had completely blocked out of my memory was Matt Walker, who was mm-hmm. their sixth defenseman. I totally forget. I totally spaced on that. <laughs> um, and yeah, just going back and watching these highlights that, that third pairing with, with Matt Walker and Cam Barker, Ooh. And their their lack of foot speed, especially early in these game or the early in these series, um, was a real hindrance. Where <clears throat> they were getting caught up ice, and the and the the Canucks were getting a lot of two on ones, three on twos against those guys, and it led to some it led to some goals for the Canucks early in the series. And this was one of those games where. Uh, it was just uh, the couple of uh, couple of plays for Vancouver. Mason Raymond scored a goal in the first period. You know, again the Hawks falling behind, and, uh, and then the second period came around. Vancouver went up to three nothing, just like they had in Game One, and this time they were they were able to to kind of hold on. And um, the the Hawks never really had quite the same push as they did in the in the subsequent in in the previous and the subsequent games um brian campbell did score a power play goal to make it three to one but uh that third period we didn't see quite the same onslaught of the blackhawks taking advantage of opportunities and they only ended up with 24 shots on goal in the whole game 
And so, yeah, this was definitely the Hawks' probably worst game of the series. Um, you know, unfortunately, it was, you know, their 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 first game at home, but they were able to respond that next game uh, and kind of turn the tides on them where it was still a nice effort from Luongo, uh, but the Blackhawks managed to really stifle the Canucks attack. They, they weren't getting near the, the, the counterattacks against the Blackhawks. Um, the Hawks played a much more uh, structured game. They controlled the puck a lot and their defensemen didn't get, didn't get caught nearly as much. And so it led to, a, you know, a really tight game, but once again, <laughs> Vancouver jumping out ahead with Darcy Hordachuk of all people <clears throat> scoring a scoring a second period goal, um, and then it, it led to a, a, a you know one of the mad scrambles at the end, and Marty Havlat um, finally that 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 line with Boland Havlat and Lad was united, and they've really from this point in the series on. Uh, those three guys really kind of took it over and became kind of the most important uh, driving force for the Hawks through the rest of the series. And like I said, Havlat scored um, a real nice goal at the end of the third period to send it to overtime. And then Andrew Ladd off an assist from Boland and Havlat uh, on a, a, it was kind of a nondescript play where I think it was Boland just kind of from the blue line, yeah, kind of did like a turnaround and slap the puck at the net, and Lad just happened to be there right in front, and he redirected the puck in. Didn't look like, you know, it was a real big threat on the play, but they got it past Luongo and even the series back up. Yeah, you know that was, you know, if you think about it now, someone who very much got lost in the shuffle, and you know that most fans, I bet, you know, you don't even think of anymore because he's only there at the very start. But Martin Havlat, who was a guy, yes. when the Blackhawks were in their dark days, had signed. And, you know, he's a great player, but, man, was he, like, injuries just absolutely yeah, this, derailed him. Yeah, this was the one year where he was able to stay healthy and really put it all together with the Blackhawks. Um, I think it would surprise a lot of people to learn that Martin Havlat was – not only the leading scorer in the regular season, but the leading scorer in the playoffs for the Hawks this year. Um, you know, Caves and Tain were still, you know, young pups. They were 20. And Havlat was still the main cog um, for this team offensively. And, yeah, I really enjoyed the way Marty Havlat played. He was definitely one of my favorite players at the time. Um, but even in that situation... Uh, you know, we had already been through the Martin Havlat injury prone. Uh, um, uh, and, you know, he, he was entering his <clears throat> his free agency after this. And I was definitely scared about giving him a long term contract. And obviously um, there were folks in the Blackhawks front office who felt the same way. Um, a lot of what we hear is this is actually one of the things that kind of ended up pushing uh, Stan Bowman into the general manager's seat 
over Dale Talon is Talon was pretty much set on uh, extending Havlat, but uh, Bowman and some of the other guys in the organization were much more in favor of going after Marion Hosa. And you know, obviously that ended up being yeah. the, the, <laughs> the correct path. And so that was kind of the replacement. They didn't have the money for both. But the the money that they would have went that would have went towards Havlat ended up going towards Hosa, and obviously that was an upgrade. And even at the time, as somebody who liked Havlat, I was like, oh my god, I would much rather have Marion Hosa. So it, <laughs> yeah. it worked out great. So to Katie too, it's just like like because you were just getting back into the black. Like I don't even know like Martin Havlat's not a name that like you just forget about him. Yeah. Gone so quickly. If someone had said like, "Hey, can you name the team this from 2009?" Martin Havlat would not have been a name I likely would have remembered. Maybe and, with like a hint, but not off the top yeah. of my head. And if you ask people like who is the leading scorer, like Michael saying, no one would, even diehard no. fans would, no one would say Havlat. No, probably not. But hey, I, I I really enjoyed watching the guy. It, uh, it was he, you know, he was fast and he was, um, you know, really creative. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just could not stay healthy. And I, you know, I think it was immediately the next year. I think he played like twenty games with San Jose and had, um, I, with the Blackhawks, I think his big issue was shoulders. Yeah. Um, I think so. But I want to say his uh, when he after when he signed with San Jose, he ended up hurting his knee, and from that point on, it kind of robbed him of some of the speed that really defined a lot of his game. And yeah, yeah just it never really came together for him after after this. But for this series, uh, from this point on in the series, he he was a huge, huge, huge factor. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I guess that's kind of a good uh, point to to move on to game five, where yeah. we return to Vancouver. And I don't know if you want to take over from here. Or... Well, I think I'll do I'll do the final game because I okay. <clears throat> well, uh, game five, like I said, back in Vancouver, and for the first time in the series, the Blackhawks take an early lead with Dustin Bufflin. Uh, Taken, uh, I, I, I honestly can't remember if this was one where he redirected it in front or not, but, um, you know, just, just to have the Hawks actually have an early lead was, was a huge thing and forced Man- Vancouver to play from behind for a change, but they didn't stay behind for very long. Once again, um, the, the Canucks managed to break through. Uh, Ryan Kessler scores a late power play goal in the first period. And then Matt Sundin, Mm -hmm. who I also had blanked on in the series. It's really funny going through some of these old series. uh, You know, it's like the the cup finals against Boston. Mm -hmm. Totally forgot Yarmir Yager was on that team. Uh, This Vancouver series. Totally forgot Matt Sundin was on the team. Um there was somebody else too in one of these other series. There's like this, you know, all-time great player at the end of their career, and it's just like I don't remember them being involved in this. But yeah, here we go, Matt Sundin mm-hmm. playing a fourth-line role, but he he came through with a goal and gave Vancouver the lead. But Dustin Bufflin, this time on the power play, standing in front of the net, doing his thing, 
getting in Luongo's kitchen, scores his second goal of the game to tie it back up. And then power play once again in the third period, this time late, you know, just that another one of those late pushes by the, the Blackhawks, Dave Boland uh, scored a really nice goal uh, to put the Hawks up uh, three to two. And then Havlat was able to, to ice it with an empty netter. Uh, a couple minutes later, and yeah, just a nice. This was um, maybe, and it was either this one or the or, or the following game where it was where it was really kind of the Hawks' best effort, where they mm-hmm. really dominated the puck possession a lot. I want to say it might have been the next game, but no, yeah, no, it, it was, was these, this. It was, was it this game because they only had um, Vancouver only had ten shots the final two periods. Okay. Yeah. So that might be it. Yeah. So it might've been this game, but yeah, I remember one of these games where they were just, you know, it, it was weird because Vancouver did have the lead at the one point, but yeah, they, they were just never able to muster anything, um, you know, real consistently throughout the game. And yeah, just, you know, that the, the, the legends of, of Dustin Bufflin and Dave Boland, you know, coming up with the big goals and 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 just being the the Canuck killers. Uh, this was really one of those games that kind of solidified it, um, where you know Buff, Bufflin standing in front uh, after scoring one of those goals, he got Luongo to kind of you know do like the pushing and shoving in, against him, and uh, Boland was getting under the skin of the Sedins, and yeah, this was just it's it's one of those ones that you know, fans still remember. Yes. So now we get to game six, which, you know, was just a crazy game. I mean, very, very crazy game. Um, yes. <laughs> so I'll let, you, I'll let you take it away. Okay. So this was a game where the tables kind of, you know, not totally reversed, but they did get reversed a little bit here. Um, mm-hmm. The Canucks, of course, though, they had to keep one thing going where they would score the first goal. Mason Raymond, the name I haven't thought about for a long time, but he has scored the goal. But um, uh, the Blackhawks did not waste time getting back into it. They scored two minutes later. Uh, Patrick Kane, first goal of the night and not his last. But um, it was a 1-1 after one period, and you thought, it's going to be a hard-fought game. But then... Uh, the Canucks got very undisciplined and committed a bunch of penalties. Yeah. The uh, Blackhawks were able to score in two of them, Christopher Stieg and Jonathan Tabes. And they took a 3-1 to one lead, and you're thinking, well, oh, maybe this is the Blackhawks when they got the lead. Maybe this is their time. But uh, the Canucks were the team that rallied this time. Daniel Sedin, of course. Who, and the Sedins had been... Pretty quiet throughout the series, but they were yeah. not quiet this this game. Uh, Sedin scored to make it three to two, and then uh, a couple minutes later, Shane O'Brien, journeyman defenseman, uh, yeah. scored the tying goal, and it was three to three after two. And you're thinking, well, I guess it couldn't be that easy for the Blackhawks, but the trouble kept growing because the Canucks actually took the lead. To start the third period, the aforementioned Matt Sundin, who 
when I was a kid and the Blackhawks were playing the Maple Leafs in the playoffs, was always a thorn in the side of the Blackhawks, but he scored again to make it four to three. And then all hell basically broke loose. Uh, Adam Burge fought, you know, came in. Adam Burge, who was a big fan favorite back then. Now I guess he's on TV and he's a fan favorite, but the unlikely hero, Adam Burrish, <laughs> scored a goal to make it 4-4. Four to four. But then this Daniel Sedin again yeah. answered back to make it 5-4 to four Canucks. And that was where Patrick Kane, who, as you were saying, Michael, had been kind of on and off this whole series, just roared to life. Uh, yep. He scored to tie the game about a, not even a minute. After Sedin had put um, Vancouver head tied at 5-5. Then Jonathan Tabes, on another power play, banged home the go-ahead goal. To make Again, it... less than a minute later. Yes, less than a minute later. The crowd, at this point, the crowd was going absolutely nuts. Yeah. It was, you know, this is where the whole madhouse on Madison, that whole marketing strategy, I'm pretty sure came from this game. Because yep. the crowd was going crazy. This is and where then, they rediscovered that. Yep. Yes. And then um, finally Kane with a just a sick backhanded move to get the hat trick and to seal the win uh, late, in the, late in the third period. And the Blackhawks would win the game and the series and go on to play the Red Wings. So, But this was a very, very memorable game. Yeah. Very wide open, just back and forth, and yeah, that third period was just nuts with the six goals and the you know trading the lead back and forth. It was just that was so much fun, you know. Well, it was so much fun because the Blackhawks you know came out on top. I, I, I'm sure that the Canucks fans have a different view of it, but yeah, it was just that was such a blast, and yeah, that. Kane topping it all off with the uh, with the hat trick. He said the sick backhander was uh, yeah just icing on the cake. Beautiful way to close out a series again. You know a hard fought series against you know a team where you could you could kind of see the animosity building throughout and yeah just beautiful way to end it. Yeah. So uh, I'll ask you, Katie, for your thoughts on the final game. Yeah, I think as someone who hadn't seen a ton of games at that point, it was stressful to see all the back and forth, but it was, like, fun stressful. Um, And it just kind of seemed like really anything could happen, and obviously the right thing did happen in the end. Um, But I think it was a really, being a new fan, it was a great game to watch because there was so much action going on, and there were just so many plays happening, good and bad, depending on which team you were cheering for, that it was just a really enjoyable game to watch even though it was also tense and made me nervous half the time <laughs> yes it was most a good advertisement for hockey i mean this is like i'm thinking if you want fans to start thinking hockey's great show them this game because a lot of excitement definitely and yeah i mean you know this this solidified a lot of new fans for the team you know i think Going into these playoffs, a lot of fans were, you know, still new, hadn't, you know, they got the taste of having some young stars on the team and it was an exciting team. But 
you know, nobody had, well, I shouldn't say, it, uh, you know, none of the new fans had experienced playoff hockey yet. And just the, the, the extra level, the, the excitement, the, the, the nerves, as uh, Katie was saying, um, just intensify so much in the playoffs. And yeah, I, you couldn't have asked for a more entertaining series to kind of really show the fans that, Hey, you know, this is what hockey can be. This is what these young guys are capable of. And yeah, this was definitely still at the point where I, you know, prior to the Hawks ever winning a cup, you know, where it's still in the back of my mind. It's like, this team is, you know, broke my heart so many times over the years and, uh, you know, just see, seeing what was happening before me and, and seeing all of the talent and the potential that they had. Um, but at the time, still seeing some of the flaws, you know, like I uh, kind of mentioned earlier, this was not a this was not a complete roster yet. They hadn't quite put all the pieces together and they were still feeling their way through a little bit. And so there was definitely not the that sense that I would get even the following year when just watching them in the regular season where I was just like, this team is special. This team is the best team in the league. There's really nobody that can stop them if they're playing at their highest level. Um, whereas with this group, they hadn't quite gotten to that level yet. And so just it was kind of balancing both the just I, I'm just going to enjoy this while it lasts, even though I know it's probably not going to result in a Stanley Cup verse. Boy, wouldn't it be great, you know, if they could and, you know, if they could actually achieve this. And, yeah, uh, it was just it was a really, really great time watching this. Yeah, but all I ever wanted for a long time was to have an actual Blackhawks game on my birthday, which would mean that they made the playoffs. And finally, <laughs> after like nine years, they finally, yes, they finally got to have that again. So I was, I was just, this was all just bonus at this point. <laughs> yeah. Nah, this was, this was great. And it, and it was, it's been a lot of fun. Um, the last couple of days, kind of going back and watching some of the old film on this. I just, you know, I, I had forgotten a couple of things and, um, yeah, this was, this was a fun review to do. So, well, I guess that will wrap up this episode and yeah, we do, don't know when there's going to be hockey again. So we'll, we'll probably keep doing these, these, uh, trips down memory lane. And if anyone listening has their own suggestions for things you should cover, let us know. So we got time to watch this stuff because nothing else is going on. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, I'll just everyone's mine. I'm at STH85 on Twitter. Uh, Katie? Yeah, I'm at K-D-Z-W-I-E-R-Z-Y-N-S-K-I. Uh, Michael? MJ underscore Ernst. And you can uh, follow the podcast, get new episodes on the Apple Podcast app, and yeah, until our next episode and our next trip down uh, memory lane, thank you everyone for listening. <laughs>